Father, thank you that before we call, you answer. Thank you that we come to you as a God of infinite love who's longing to pour out blessings on us. Lord, so often our picture of you is so skewed and so mistaken. I pray that today you would rectify that. You'd give us a more beautiful picture of Jesus than we've ever seen before. That we would see your love and your power and that it would lead us to confidence in what you can do through us, humble human beings. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit. Speak to us this morning through the, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Yvette and her husband were driving down the road when suddenly they watched as a car went careening into the parking lot of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. This is the world headquarters back in Maryland. And they looked and they saw this car careening into the parking lot and then they saw the man jump out and he said, the baby is coming. And then she heard screams coming from the back seat of the car. She recognized that this was an emergency and she began to pull into the parking lot. I imagine that what was going on in that man's mind might have been a little similar to what was going on in the mother of Moses. Turn with me to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, we pick up the story where Stephen is telling us about Moses' birth. He's giving a, a brief swath of Bible history. And in Acts chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 19, it says this, This man, talking about Pharaoh, dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. Talk about treacherousness. You imagine forcing people to take their babies and at first he was just saying that all the babies needed to be put to death, but then he realized that they weren't doing it and so he made this massive decree that Every boy baby needed to be taken and thrown into the Nile River. You imagine that. For nine months you've carried this baby. I, I imagine as Moses' mother was, was suddenly realized that she was pregnant, and then as the months went on, the dread had to rise in her heart. You imagine having that child and, and knowing that you are commanded to throw this male child into a river. How many of you mothers would do that? Just curious. Okay, good. I didn't see many hands raised. Um, Jacobet also didn't do this. For three months, she hid this child. And then suddenly, I think something clicked in her mind where she figured out, and I believe it was the inspiration of God, something that she might do for Moses. She did indeed put him into the Nile River, but she put him in that basket that was sealed with, with pitch so that it would float. And as it floated, it floated by God's miraculous intervention right to Pharaoh's daughter herself. And Pharaoh's daughter, you know the story, was able to send uh, Moses back. And for until Moses was weaned, he was there with the mother and then came back to the courts of Pharaoh. Now, who could have arranged something better than this? You, know, you think about Matt as he walks up to his car and there's two fishermen coming up who happened to be ER doctors who can help him out. Who could have arranged something like Pharaoh's daughter picking up Moses out of the river except for the God who wanted to deliver his people out of slavery? 
God had arranged this and God prepared his step by step. Moses had enough training to, to cling to Jesus as he was there in Pharaoh's court. And day by day, he was learning the greatest wisdom that the world could think of. As he was there in the courts of Pharaoh, he was trained to be the next Pharaoh. He was trained to be a warrior, to be able to kill. He was trained to be able to lead armies, to be able to govern a nation. What better thing could God have provided in order for somebody to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? How much better could it have been designed? It's, it's more beautiful than, than any picture of what God could have done. But then it, it continues the story in Acts chapter 7. We pick up the story, we'll skip down uh, to verse, 20, or verse 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. What type of person does it describe here that Moses was? What, is, what are some of the descriptions here that are, are in this verse? He's, he's mighty in words and deeds. He has all of the wisdom of the, the greatest nation on the planet. He has all of this at his fingertips. So naturally, knowing that God has called him to be the deliverer of Israel, what do you do? Well, you use all that you have to go and deliver Israel, right? Well, this is what Moses does for the next verse. goes on to say, verse 23, Now when he was 40 years old, he's in his prime, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he sees that they're being oppressed. His natural reaction is to cling to what he could do in that moment. How could he bring deliverance? How could he provide the way here? He defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared, and two of them were, uh, as they were fighting, and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. Moses was doing what he knew how to do best. He went to action. He immediately killed the one who was doing the oppressing. He thought that this was the way that deliverance was to be brought to the Israelites. So he did everything that he knew how to do. And it miserably failed. In my experience, I find that oftentimes when I rely on my own abilities, it falls so far short of everything that I was hoping to do for God. Have you experienced that before? Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17 is a fascinating chapter because the first part of the chapter actually quotes directly from one of Moses' last sermons in Deuteronomy. So it has this context of, of quoting from Deuteronomy. And here in, in verse 5, it says this, Picture the story of Moses here. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Now when it says man here, it's the Hebrew word givor, which is basically to represent a man in his prime. When he's the most competent, when he's the most skilled, when he has all the strength that he needs, a strong man would be a good comp uh, word for this. Cursed is the man who trusts 
in man. Cursed is the strong man who trusts in man and who makes, and then it says, flesh his strength. And the word there for strength that's translated in our English Bible is just the simple word arm. Cursed is the strong man who relies upon his arm. Now, this past week, Leah was beginning some of the work on her, the primary Sabbath school room. And she would save projects so that when I finished working in my office, I would be going down there and she would say, oh, there's this stump that needs to be carried out. Would you carry it out? So I'd pick it up and carry it out. Or there was a table that needed to be moved because in her eyes, I'm strong. <laughs> you know, you look at me and you think the same thing that I think and that I'm not that strong. But what does a strong man rely upon? Somebody like Terrence that goes to the gym and works out a lot. Like Luis who works out all the time. A big guy like that, we'd expect that if we had a problem here, we needed something big moved, then you would call one of those big people to come and move it for us, right? Somebody that could lift up something big for us. A strong man naturally relies upon his strength. That's what it's all about. That's why you work out. Well, sometimes that's why you work out. Well, This says, cursed is the man who does that. Cursed is the man who's relying on his own strength. Because what does it go on to say? And makes flesh his strength whose heart departs from the Lord. This is where the cursed part comes in. This is where the problem comes in. Not in the fact that he's strong. Not in the fact that he's using his arm, but the fact that his heart is turning away from God. He's not recognizing the source of his strength. Now, watch. Think about the story of Moses. What happened to Moses when he killed the Egyptian? He had to run into the desert, and he was out there for 40 years in the desert. Look at what it says happens to those who trust in their own strength. Verse 6 continues, For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. See, Moses thought that he had it all together. He thought that he could get it done in his own strength. He thought that he could lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And God needed to teach him a lesson. And so he let him become like a bush in a desert that didn't have what it needed in order to thrive. He let him to go out and to see that of himself he couldn't provide for himself. And, and if you doubt that Moses dried out there in the wilderness, just look at what happens. Go to Exodus chapter 3 with me. Exodus chapter 3 picks up the story of Moses. Moses is now how old? He was 40 years old when he killed the Egyptian. He's been in the wilderness for 40 years. How old would that make him? 80 years old. Now when you're 80 years old, what are you tending to desire for your life. At that point in life, you would hope that you have a, a, a solid 401k, a, a bank account that you can retire on, or maybe some properties that are giving you income. Whatever it is, you're counting on that you're going to be able to live a life of ease, right? That's, that's kind of a, a goal that some people have. Well, look at what Moses is doing. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Let's just stop right there. Moses is shepherding a flock. A a shepherd, that's a great thing, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is the good shepherd. 
But here's the thing. If you look back in Genesis chapter 46 and verse 34, it says that the Egyptians saw shepherds as abominable. Meaning, they saw it as the worst possible career that you could choose. They saw it, in fact, they would have pictures uh, depicting shepherds, and they would make them really ugly, and they would make them like cripples, and they, would, they always demeaned shepherds. They looked down on shepherds. Shepherds were despicable in their eyes. And Moses went from being the next possible pharaoh of Egypt, one favored to sit on the throne of the most powerful empire in the entire world, to being the most despicable being in the most despicable career possible. But not only that, it gets even better. Because you read, he says that the, he was shepherding whose flock of sheep? Jethro, his father-in-law. Now, I don't know about you, I love my father-in-law, but if I'm getting to the place where I am 80 years old and I have a wife and two kids and I'm hoping to retire... You might be hoping at that point that you have more than just your father-in-law's flock of sheep to shepherd, right? You want to be more than just an employee at that point. You want to actually have some subsistence that you could live off of. But here's Moses. He's 80 years old and he went from being the greatest in Egypt to being an ultimate failure. He's got nothing now. He doesn't even have his own flock of sheep to shepherd anymore. He's out shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. He's a complete failure in life. Not only this, he's out in a parched place, right? It says that he was at the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. I don't know where you are today. You might think as you look at your life, man, I've just made a failure of my life. My life has come to nothing. Maybe, maybe God had plans for me, but I think I've thrown it all to the pot. There's no... No opportunity left for me. I imagine that Moses might have felt that way. His day in and day out, he's there shepherding his sheep and he's watching out for them. He feels like, God, I don't know what you're going to be able to do with me. But the good thing is that Jeremiah 17 goes on to say something else. Flip back with me to Jeremiah chapter 17. I believe that this is the transformation that was beginning to happen in Moses' heart as he was out there in the wilderness just beholding the grandeur of God out in nature, seeing the unshakable hills that God had created. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7, it says the opposite. After saying, cursed is the man who trusts in his own strength, goes on to say in verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord who says, God is everything to me. I am just hoping in God. Moses had lost everything else. And now all that he had left was God. And God was everything to him. All he needed and all he wanted was God. Then it says, verse 8, For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. It still might experience a desert experience, but its roots go deep. They're they're submersed in God. They draw strength from God. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and they bear fruit in their lives. And so Moses, as he was there in the wilderness, to everybody else's perspective, it may have seemed like he was a failure, like he had totally lost his calling, like God could never deliver the 
Israelites through him anymore. But it is in that moment that God showed up and showed what he can do to a dried out bush in the desert and how he can set it on fire. Verse 2 of Exodus chapter 3 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. I think that God is trying to help us to see the picture of Moses' life right here. He's trying to help Moses to see what Moses could become. Here is a bush, a humble bush out in the wilderness that has nothing to offer, but God Himself is right there in the midst of the bush, and the bush is not being consumed. God wanted to pour out His Holy Spirit on Moses and to enable him to set him on fire to be able to do the mission that he had originally tasked him to do. Jesus was described by John the Baptist in, uh, when John came preaching and they, they said to him, you know, are you the coming one? And he said, no, truly I've come to baptize with water, but he who comes after me, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with, do you know what it says? fire. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Here we see a bush representing maybe Moses, and we see this consuming fire in it, and yet the bush is not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. It's an amazing thing to him. So when the Lord saw that he, that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Isaiah 63 and verse 9 says that in all of our afflictions, He is afflicted. And He bore them all the days of old. In every trial that you go through in your life, He knows what you're going through. He feels the sorrow. He Himself bears it for you. God says, I'm right there with you. I understand what's been going on. You may feel like you've been forgotten as slaves in Egypt. Today you might feel like God has forgotten you. Like, like you're forsaken, like you've been a failure, like you don't have anything to offer. But God is right there saying, I know what you're going through. I have seen and I will deliver. Now Moses is completely different at this point. Because look at what he, he goes on to respond in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Well, I can't do this, God. This is a completely different Moses from 40 years ago. The Moses who, when he sees oppression happening, he says, I'm on this. I'm going to take him out. I'm going to bury him in the sand. And I'm going to prepare the people to deliver them. Now he says, I don't have what it takes. I can't do it. Who am I? God, you got the wrong person. But Moses is asking the wrong question. You notice what he asked there? He says, who am I? That's not the question to ask in our lives. The question is not, who are we? Yes, we need to come to the place like Moses where we recognize that we don't have what it takes, but we don't need to say, who am I? 
Because look at what God answers when He says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 12 says, So He said, that's God responding, I will certainly be with you. The question is not, Who am I? The question is not, Who is this church? The question is, Is God with us? And if God is with us, then who could be against us? What could possibly go wrong if God is with us? He can arrange for ER doctors to be there when we get back to the trailhead. He can arrange for every need that we possibly might have. And you go on to read, Moses responds, and he's a little nervous still in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and and they say to me, what is his name? What, What will I say to them? What if they don't believe me, God? Look at how God responds. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am the one who was, who is, and who always will be. I am the only one who has existence as part of his nature. Not only that, but what else is God saying here? I am, I am the one who Malachi 3 6 says, because, uh, the, let's look at Malachi 3 6. Sorry, it's fading for me. Malachi 3 6. Go there really fast with me. Malachi 3 6 says this For I am the Lord, I do not change. That's the I am that I am. Do you see that there? He's the one who was, who is, and who always will be. I am that I am. God is giving a picture to Moses of who he is. And Malachi goes on to say this, Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. This is used elsewhere in in the, the New Testament, and it says, Because his mercies are new every morning, therefore you are not consumed. Because God changes not. God is, 1 John 4 tells us, love. And that never changes. Okay, I need you to do something with me. I need all of you to take a deep breath, right? Breathe in, breathe out. Right now, take, take your hand and put it over your heart. Right? Do, you, do you feel something in there? If you don't, uh, Dr. Kirk, I think, may still know CPR. Right? I think most of you feel your heart beating. This is a good sign. This tells you that the God of the universe is still sustaining you today. You might be wondering today, does God love me? Does He care about what I'm going through? Does He even notice I'm going through so much right now and I don't even know if God's there for me. If your heart is beating, you're not consumed by the sin and the the evil of this planet. You can know that God loves you. He's watching out for you. Your life is going on and He is there with you every single breath that you take. God wanted the, the Israelites to know that. When Moses comes back to them, he wants for Moses to describe himself as the I Am, the one who is there even when they are slaves and don't feel like He's there for them. Even when it feels like everything is going wrong in their lives. Verse 14 continues in Exodus chapter 3. And He said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The one who is. And the the reality of the universe is that this self-existent one is love. And that He would rather you live than that He live. That He laid down His life for you. So that you could have eternal happiness. Because he wanted to show you that self-sacrificing love is the principle that 
is the foundation of this entire universe. I am that I am is what you are to say to them. I am has sent me to you. Then he goes on to tell them about how he's heard their cry and he references specifically the promise that Joseph had, been, had given that he would visit his people. But it's still not enough for Moses. Look, jump down to chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, Oh, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Moses, you were just seeing things. You were out in the wilderness for 40 years, and then you started hallucinating. God didn't appear to you. Verse 2, so the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? What an embarrassing question for Moses, huh? Moses, who was an Egyptian who was raised in the courts of Pharaoh, who knew that to be a shepherd was an abominable and despicable career, who now doesn't even have his own flock of sheep, who feels like a complete failure in his life, and God says, hey, what's that in your hand? Oh, thanks God. Thanks for rubbing it in. Yes, I am a shepherd. That's what's in my hand. It's it's a rod. Great, God, that helps me a lot. You see, it's when we recognize our nothingness and we recognize that God is everything, that He can use us to change the world. He could take what appeared to be a failure in Moses' life and use that to be the greatest blessing of his life. As Moses held that staff in his hand, God went on to promise him that, number one, he could throw it down and it would become a snake and that could be this miracle. But that was just a representation to him of what God was going to gift him to be able to do through that rod. He was going to be able to go up to the Red Sea and to hold it over the Red Sea and the sea would split because God was with him. He would be able to be there in battle, to be there on that mountain and to hold the staff up while he prayed. And God would give the victory while he held up that staff. God would turn that staff, and later he calls it the rod of my power. God turned the failures of Moses' life into the greatest blessing that the nation of Israel ever experienced. That's what God wants to do in your life, in my life. He wants to gift us for the mission, but He can only gift us for the mission when we recognize our need. When we see that we have nothing, we don't have what it takes. And he goes on to give him more promises. He says, you can go and you'll put your hand in your jacket and pull it out in your robe and pull it out and it'll be leprous. And then you can put it back and it won't be leprous anymore. I'm going to reveal to them my healing and loving nature again and again so that they know that they could trust you as my prophet. Promises that he could pour water out and it will turn to blood. Here it is, as God is standing as Moses is, st- is there in God's presence, that he finally recognizes that God can do something through a nobody. You know, he spent the first 40 years of his life learning how to be a somebody in this world. How to be the best of the best. And then he spent the next 40 years of his life learning that he was a nobody. But the next 40 years of his life, from 80 to 120 years old, he spent learning what God can do through a nobody. 
God wants to do incredible things. And you might feel like you're at the end of your experience and that you don't have much to offer, but God wants to gift you and equip you and use you to bring independence, to bring freedom. And that takes through coming and revealing Jesus to this world. The I am that I am. The loving God who has never stopped loving any human being on this planet. In order to reveal that, we have to be gifted. We have to be filled with this Holy Spirit. We have to be in dependence upon God. Otherwise, we have no hope of leading people into the promised land. It simply isn't going to happen. We could even share glow tracks. and It's an amazing thing to share those glow tracks to get them out there. But without God leading, they're going to be pointless. Without the Holy Spirit empowering us, it's not going to make a difference. As Yvette was driving past the world headquarters, she had rolled down her window and she heard the man screaming, my baby, uh, the, the baby is coming. And he, she heard the screams coming from the back of the car. She pulled into the parking lot. She pulled up to the car. She jumped out. She told her husband, call 911, get the paramedics to come out, out here. And I only have to imagine how the conversation continued as she walked up to the car and she said, I'm a physician and I'm here to deliver your baby. <laughs> God had brought her there at that very moment and she helped the man deliver the baby from his wife. She helped the man to go and take his shoelace off and to be able to tie off the umbilical cord with a shoelace. They found a, a scissors in the glove compartment and they were able to cut the umbilical cord and by the time the paramedics arrived, she'd wrapped that baby in a blanket and a healthy baby and a healthy mom went to the hospital. But there's a little backstory to this. This story began five days earlier because Yvette and her husband had been driving past the same World Church headquarters. And as they drove past last Sabbath, they saw all these cars parked in the parking lot and they said, hey, let's go there for church today instead of to our church. So they pull into the parking lot, they go in, and they go in to listen during church and they hear this sermon by Ted Wilson, Elder Ted Wilson, sharing about how God has given us a mission to reach this world. The desperate times that we're living in and how urgent we need to be about reaching the people who are in our cities. And as they heard this message, they began to say, God, how can we share your love in this city? And he talked specifically about physicians being able to use their talents in order to reach people and, and doctors and nurses and dentists and people using their skills to reach the people in the cities. And so for the next five days, she just began to pray, Lord, would you use me I'm a physician. I don't feel like I can share the gospel with anybody. But would you give me opportunities to represent you? And not five days later, she's driving past and finds this person who needs to have their baby delivered. The interview with the, the mom later on said, it was like an angel popped out of nowhere. I really want to find out about this lady's God. God can use what's in your hand. You may not have the qualifications to be a physician and to, to, to deliver a baby, but you might know how to mow lawns. You might know how to pour concrete or to put roofs on buildings. You might know how to fix a car. You might know how to work with computers, how to work with numbers. You might be able to be like Alice and program websites for schools. You might be able to do things that somebody else can't do, and God is calling you to use what's in your hand. Not because you have anything to offer, but because He has gifted you and He wants to use it to make Himself known, His loving character known in our community. 
That's what God is longing to do. And sometimes we think that what's in our hand isn't really that valuable. It wasn't, it was a week before last, I was holding my cell phone in the early morning. Sometimes I read my Bible on a cell phone. And as I was there reading my Bible, I, I suddenly had this name pop in my head of a guy who lives in Modesto. And as I was thinking about him, I began to pray for him. And then I thought, you know what? I should text him right now. Now, it was about 4.30 and I was praying and reading. And I thought, well, it's kind of early to text him. But he's never minded when I've texted him before. So I took what was in my hand and I texted him a Bible promise and said that I was praying for him. Not, uh, well, it was about four hours later when I got this text back. He said, the Lord is with me. I worked last night, got home around 4.15. He goes on to say how he was facing this big trial that that weekend he was going to be given the responsibility to lead the painting company in painting a Walmart. His nephew was going to entrust him with the responsibility of that. And so as he was thinking about the stress of that and how he didn't know how he was going to be able to handle painting this Walmart, he said that I was thinking how stressful this was, how I was going to have to have the lifts rented, men lined out. I was thinking of all this when, bam, I got a text alert, looked over and saw it was from you. A coincidence? I don't believe that for a minute. Thanks, Pastor Zach. He's my only way. Pastor, I'm sure of that. And he goes on to say that he hadn't slept much, but he said, I'll get back to you for sure. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Those texts you send out to people, some may think they are random. I believe they are, are through you, directed by the Lord. I see it. Can God use a text message to impact somebody's life? How many of you have a cell phone? Well, I texted back a little uh, promise and a, a prayer back to him, and then it was a while later, he said, and now listen to this. Right after I texted you that, I was texting my nephew, letting him know I was up, and I get a phone call from a guy who wants me to come and do what I used to do when I messed up so many times before. You see, Rick has been a major drug addict. He's suffered from addiction for years and years in his life. He said, I got a phone call from that guy who wanted me to come and Satan is working also. It's also plain for me to see it. I mean, right after, Pastor, it's that crazy. I mean, you read about the good and evil struggle, that battle, but I just saw it. I mean, we see it every day, but this was an eye-opener to me. I text him back. It shows how big God's love for you is. He's crazy about you. He cares about every detail of your life. He doesn't want to see you hurt yourself anymore and wants to give you an abundant life. And then I text John 10.10. Then he put this. That almost put tears in my eyes. Thank you so much, Pastor. He really took the time to make it clear to me this morning. As sure as I know the sun is shining, I know this was him. You must live a fulfilled life, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor Zach. Got a shower. Wow, is all I can say. He used you this morning like I, you couldn't imagine. You probably see this stuff all the time. Not necessarily. But wow, when he moves, he really moves. Praise God. A simple text message. Something that doesn't take a pastor to do, right? Something that doesn't take being educated or trained. Something that God might impress you to make a phone call this afternoon, to write a note to somebody, to express your care for them, and God can use what is in your hand. God can use your career. God can use your wealth. God can use whatever you have to impact this world. 
That's what I believe God was communicating to Moses. He says, it doesn't matter. It matters that I'm with you. I'll take that rod and I'll make it the rod of my power and I'll impact the world through it. Now, if only Moses had fully grasped it at that point, what does he go on to say? He says, well, well, Lord, send the message by whomever you will. Somebody else, Lord, not me. Notice how God responds at that point. It says finally that the, the anger of God was stirred. If, if you, actually, there's something even before that. Let's go to verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. I am that I am. I created your mouth. I created all of you. And I can use it to accomplish my purposes. You just need to rely upon me. I will gift you to accomplish the mission if you simply depend upon me. Cursed is the man who trusts in his own flesh. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is the Lord, to whom Jesus is everything, to whom they know that God will see them through any trial and any difficulty that they might face. Moses goes on to say in verse 13 though, but he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Send somebody else. So the Lord, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is coming out to meet you. God had to bring Aaron into the picture. Something that it doesn't seem that God wanted to do. And remember last week we saw that Aaron was the one that was tricked into making or, or was convinced to make the golden calf. What if Moses had stood up and said, okay, God, you're sending me. I'm going to go. Maybe it wouldn't have put that false confidence in Aaron. Maybe the story could have been different today. You and I are in one of two categories. I would suggest that on the one hand, we may be relying on our strength today. It's the one ditch that we tend to fall in when we're talking about being gifted with the Holy Spirit is we're relying on what we can do, what we can accomplish. But don't fall in the other ditch that Moses fell in. And that is to be so focused on what you can't do that you forget what your God can do. The important thing for us to know today is that God works through nobodies to do incredible things to change the world. When Moses stood before God, he was finally recognizing that he was a nobody, that God could do marvelous things through him. This week, we're going to be looking at another story, so I encourage you to go to the life groups and we're going to see how the Holy Spirit wants to gift each of us when we become fully dependent, when we recognize that we don't have what it takes and Jesus has all that we need. I want to invite you just to turn and to pray with a neighbor if you're comfortable. If not, just go ahead and, and pray uh, silently with yourself. But I I just want us to, at this moment, just to plead with God that He would pour out His Holy Spirit to gift us to make Him known. That He would lead us to learn to be totally dependent upon Jesus and not on ourselves, but to be totally dependent on the God that we know can accomplish all things for us. Go ahead and turn and just pray for a moment for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the person next to you, for God to gift them 
for ministry, or if you'd rather, just go ahead and pray, bowing your head.